Good morning again, friends. Let me take this opportunity with fully functioning microphone to introduce myself. If we haven't met, my name's Tim. I have the privilege of being one of these pastors here, and you may have the privilege of seeing me trip over this mic cord this morning. Uh, let's, let's hope that doesn't happen. Thank you. Um, yeah, because I, I, got, uh, I got some places to go this week because tomorrow uh, is my anniversary. Uh, well, maybe not if it was my anniversary, that would just be called a birthday, but it would be our anniversary. Uh, Allie and I have been, been married now for 14 years. And yeah, it's really amazing. And uh, so th this blissful journey of 5,110 5, days um, <clears throat> is, has been really, really incredible. And early on, though, there were, there were a few rough days, few rough points. You see, I, I was just a, a young, confident, self-assured young man. And then like lightning, uh, this young woman came into my life and everything just switched and flipped. And even though this went so well, even after a few weeks, it was like, this, this is the one. This is, this is it. I found myself internally in a really unique and new space. Whenever there was a disagreement or a misunderstanding, I took it really, really seriously to the point of which I would lose sleep at night worrying if this, this person, this relationship that I had given my heart to would stand, that it would be there if I chose to continue to, to show up. And I was just terrified inside. This had nothing to do with Allie. She was amazing. But what, I was, what was happening is this was the first real thing that I had invested in outside of like sports. And all of a sudden, I had these drops in the pit of my stomach wondering like, what if this doesn't work out? And underneath that, I began to see that I was wrestling with big issues of control and trust and was able to name those at the time. But over time, it's, it seemed I was able to name what was even beneath that. That there's this fear that we may all have at some level that if I were to be fully known and to show up for who I really am, would I be fully loved and accepted on the other side of that? And I think we share that fear. In fact, one pastor theologian puts it this way. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. And to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. And this particular Psalm, 139, offers to us a glimpse of this truth, something that is expansive. This Psalm is, um, even though it, it takes up about a page and a half on the Bible, depending on your translation, it spans the limits and vastness of geography of the internal emotional world, of the depth and breadth of God's love and creativity is found in this uh, collection of poems and sayings. It is amazing, amazing literature and speaks to us, I think, at our deepest level. So 
let's take a look at this together. Before we do, would you pray with me? Lord God, as there are things stirring around inside of us, fears and anxieties, hopes and longings, would you allow us to bring them to your word and would your word speak to us and fill us? Would you illuminate our minds to what your story is doing and would your spirit change us? Would you search us and know us and lead us in a new way this morning? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So there's three sections to this psalm. I noticed this full well when we were reading it with a bunch of families on the Mars Hill camping trip last week. Everything's going along just swimmingly for 18 verses. And then out of nowhere, this beautiful prose that just woos your heart and emotions turns to words like hatred and enemies. And all the little like third and fourth graders are like, I don't think we do that. And then it changes back again. So we're going to take this thing in three sections because I think the diversity of it and the, the twists and turns of the psalm are key to our understanding and experiencing it. This first section is verse 1 through 18. This is, uh, it is just beautiful, and it's something that I would like us to experience. When I think about verses 1 through 18, I think fewer of my words are better. So, I would invite you to hear this text in its entirety, um, or in this, this section in its entirety. If you're someone who loves to read along, that's great. And if it's really helpful, this is on page 576 in the Shed Bibles. But I would invite you to just let it, let it hit you. We'll read it slowly and try and pay attention to what it is that could be happening inside of you as we read this particular text, speaking of God's love and pursuit of us. So hear these words. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle at the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night shines like the day. 
for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. The word of the Lord. And thanks be to God that this is here to remind us and to reassure us and to give more than just one word picture, but so many to the, the intricate and intimate ways that God knows us and yet loves us. So that we may not be the ones up late at night wondering if indeed I am known, if I put myself out there, will I be loved? They're in great and repetitive rhythm from the far sides of the world to any time of day or place, we are known and we are loved. A couple of things I want to point out about these particular set of verses. One comes to us in verse five, and we prayed through this earlier. There's this interesting thing. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, I'm, I'm cognizant of as we, we read some of these verses, there's kind of this like inescapableness that for some of us may immediately feel like it's a blessing, but for some of us it may trigger some things that are not so good. If we've been somebody who's been in a really controlling and maybe abusive relationship, this kind of like, I can't get away, you're behind and before me, you're all around me, and then you lay your hand on me, that may not feel immediately positive. But, but let's take a look at what this text is actually doing. So you hem me in behind and before. This is an interesting word. There's some beautiful Hebrew words that come up in this psalm. This is one of them. Um, it's the word sur. And it means really to fortify or fashion or plain. Not like plain, but to plain and make straight, to make flat, to shape. And so what it appears the psalmist is doing when you look at this text in light of all the verses that follow it about being formed and designed and wonderfully made is that this text is reminding us with yet another word picture that what God is doing with us, the beloved, is, is before in the front and back and sides in all directions is the one who is shaping and forming us for something for beauty and wonder and for goodness and for purpose in the world. So may this not be constricting, but may it be something that's the hand of the, the potter, the hand of the master craftsman is forming us in such a way that sets us up to discover something later on in this particular text. So we continue. I want us to look at verse 7 through 10. This is another uh, phrase, phrases that come up. This question of where can I go from your spirit? 
And where can I free from your presence? Again, for some of us, this is immediate blessing. I, I, I can't go. God is everywhere. And I think about the ancient uh, hearer of this text, the one who would sing this psalm or hear it sung. And in an ancient world where deities were tied to a particular place, this would be a fascinating concept, right? Think about it. If you've ever read any of like Homer's Odyssey, or you think about these various things that pop up on the periphery of Scripture, like the Oracle at Delphi or Artemis of the Ephesians, these deities, these little G gods, are tied to a particular place. Their blessing and power comes when you are actually at one spot. And so to, in defiance of that, have this God whose power is everywhere and is the same everywhere is really a big deal. And so this is another word of assurance that comes to us, that if you go to the highest heavens, I think about when I used to try and get cell phone reception on like the brick phone, right? I'm trying to go up to like tallest of buildings to get reception. And when I go to the heavens, you are there. Can you hear me now? Is a blanket? Yes. There would be one commercial if this was God's phone company. Yes. Wherever you are, you are heard and seen and known. If I make my bed in the depths, this place, when they talk about the depths of the sea, the Hebrews were not a seafaring people. This is scary territory. Even there, you know me and you meet me and your right hand will hold me fast. So let these words be assurance to you that wherever you will be, have been, are now, the depth of emotion or depravity, God is there. And not only that, God's power is not tied to a place the power of God is not tied to this building or to a Bible. That God's power and presence are indeed everywhere. If we fast forward a little bit, we get through some of these beautiful texts that we sang, even the darkness is not night to you. Right? The way maker, and way and light in the darkness. Let's take a look at verse 14 together. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That word wonderfully made is not necessarily in the original language something that is tied to like artistic brilliance. It can be but is also speaking to our uniqueness. The way, the particular way that you are made is seen as wonderful by the psalmist through the eyes of God. The way that you find yourself feeling weird. Anybody see those Austin bumper stickers? Keep Austin weird. If we had more time, we could get one of those for each of us. Like, keep Deb weird. Keep Mike weird. Keep them uniquely and wonderfully made. I think of if you are someone who is a planner, someone who looks to the future, 
someone who's a daydreamer or into the details and these things that just feel like, well, why am I like this? I don't want to be like this. It just feels like nobody else is like this. You are wonderfully and uniquely made and gifted for something that nobody else can do. Maybe you're a feeler. Or maybe you feel a little emotionally reserved at times when you don't want to be. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. I think back a number of months to something uh, Troy Hatfield shared. That God hates nothing that God has made. And so beneath these sentences are so many hopes and fears and worries and self-hatred and self-loathing and and second-guessing that this text speaks to. And so let this be gospel. Let it be good news in advance, which is really the whole Old Testament, is God's redeeming work in advance. Let this be good news to you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully, uniquely made. And while that is such a gift in our inward direction, look where that psalm turns. Let me go go back to it on the screen if you would. It's verse 14. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. It moves from this beautiful inward realization and recognition of how you are made and what God is doing in you is unique and wonderful. And then we move upward in praise that your works, Lord, are wonderful. And I know that full well. And the poem continues on and continues on that you wove me together in the depths, in the secret place, that you have plans for me. And then at the end of this, at verse 18, we get to the end of this particular section, the, the text in the NIV says, when I awake, I am still with you. Other texts in the Hebrew opens itself up to this, say, when I come to my end or when I come to the end, I am still with you. At the end of things, at the end of time, at the end of your proverbial rope or emotional reserves, God is still with us, Emmanuel. So what is God preparing us for, though? The psalm takes a pretty quick turn after verse 18. Quite quickly, it moves into this. This is verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. And it it continues, and we'll get to those verses in a moment. And you're like, wait a minute, that was a hard left turn. What's actually happening here? That at the end of this beautiful poem, I think of once in a while when my kids were young, they'd be drawing this real beautiful thing with crayons, and all of a sudden it'd be like, bam, and it all got scribbled out. Kind of feels like that. What's going on? Well, uh, Pastor Denise this week in our teaching meeting said something to this effect. Sometimes you can sing something that you can't say. Yeah, that's, that's true. Is there a song that speaks something that you're actually not maybe afraid to say or couldn't say or could maybe only whisper? 
And I think we get to that place in this particular song where there's something inside of the psalmist that they can't get out any other way. They're not writing a simple treatise or posting something online that just says like, away from me, oh God, would you slay the wicked? Right? There needs to be some, something else at play. And so what I, I would suggest to you might be happening is that actually to, to let out what is inside of the psalmist, to allow space for what has been brewing inside of them, the thing that they don't know how to say or can't say or might be able to only whisper or dare to think of, needed the reassurance, the rehearsing of verses 1 through 18 in order to show up fully before God. It took me years into our marriage until I could show up and say, wait a minute, tomorrow might be okay if I say what I'm thinking or say or, or, or really show up in more of the fullness that I know I am. Not because I wasn't loved, but because I didn't believe it. What that shows me is beneath that is this, this fear that if I show up before God... Or if I say what I'm really thinking, will I still be loved? And so I think what is happening in this particular song is that for the majority of it, for 18 verses, with unlimited expanse and metaphor and power, the psalmist is rehearsing that I am loved, I am known, God is not leaving me. I can show up in my authenticity and really say what's happening beneath the surface. And so they do. And I don't know if these couple verses are whispered by the psalmist or if they are yelled, but they go like this. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They who speak of you with evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who are rebelling against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. There's something there that has been pent up for a while. I can see why the psalmist is hesitant to actually say these things. And I would imagine that inside each of us, there are some things that are brewing that do not have a place or that we don't believe will be accepted, even if we say them before God. And so I wonder, would you wonder with me, what is it inside of you that seems like it has no place that you need to lay out before the Lord? Maybe it is something you can barely whisper. Is it... Anger, resentment, disappointment, regret. And it seems that if to say it, it would almost give it too much reality, too much power. And I think what this psalm is doing us, for us is showing that, that God has made space in God's expansive love for us to be able to show up in such a way without fear that God will leave us. Or without fear that God didn't know what was in there is in there anyway. For you knew the word before it was even on my tongue. And so I think the invitation here in this second piece of the psalm is to live boldly, courageously, and fearlessly knowing that God has you and will not leave you. To live open. 
to be able to say to the Lord and maybe sometime to others, this is what's actually happening inside. That God's love can hold the lament and the disappointment and the pain. That there is space for that in this love. Maybe there isn't in many of your human relationships, but there is space here. We're going to look at a text together next week where we are going to test the limits of that space. Is there room for even this God? And there's 18 verses. Four times more than lament that is showing us, yes, there is space. Because I know you and I love you and I made you and I am with you. So what do you need to whisper before the Lord? What do you need to scream before God? If God is carving out a secure space for you, what's inside that needs to fill it? And then the psalm turns again. We find our last two verses. And again, it, it, it is some whiplash. And to add to the whiplash dynamic, I just want to share with you something that happened around these verses about four years ago in our, in our home. It's hard to hear at first, but check it out. Okay, so search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139, 23-24. Amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. My, my favorite is the offensive way. Yeah. And, and so I wonder if we want, with a, with a similar childlike posture, want to in, encounter these next few verses, which go like this. After, after the psalmist lets out this, this anger, frustration, and fear. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A couple things in this text. You look at this verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. If we rewind a bit to verse 1, the psalm opens with, you have searched me. Lord, and you know me. Not only is this a clever bookend, but the tenses are different. At the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist is saying, as if reassuring themselves, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. And then at the end, there's this invitation to God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Maybe come into partnership with what I've just shared with you. Would you examine me? I'm inviting you to do so. What this tells me is that God is not coercive or invasive. The same God who has searched me and known me, knitted me together, also desires partnership and invitation, cooperation. Lord, would you search me? And would you know my heart? 
So if the God that has been put forward to you in childhood, directly or indirectly, is one who is invasive or coercive, controlling, that is not the God we meet in the scriptures. Even though we are assured by the beginning of the psalm that God has all the power to do anything that God wants, the invitation is to to partnership, to cooperation. And so even even though the psalmist is able to just get it all out there, they come back around. Maybe Maybe they took a walk after verse 22, cooled down a little bit, got into their thinking brain, whatever it is, and then is able to come back around to the Lord and say, Lord, even in light of that, search me and know me. Test me. Know the anxieties, the anxious thoughts that are brewing beneath the surface. And then lead me in a new path. Lead me in the way everlasting, the text says. That there is a different future before the psalmist than there was before they started. That in partnership with God, with this newfound, uh, new expressed knowing and being known that there's a different future. And I think what this psalm is then telling us is that we are indeed fully known. We get that in verses 1 through 18. That we are fully known. And then it doesn't stop there. That we are invited then to deeper communion participation, transformation, holiness, and worship. That the the culmination of the psalm is not the catharsis of me getting out what is inside. There's there's a particular way that our, our current culture has said, get to the place where you're able to just live authentically. That that seems to then be the goal. That self-discovery and authenticity and self-expression and self-understanding is the ultimate end. And friends, those things are incredibly helpful. I have a wise friend who says self-knowledge is God-knowledge. But it is not the end of the story that we see in this particular psalm or in the scriptural narrative. That I, while I and you are, are at the center in some ways, that we, that we are the focus of God's belovedness and pursuit as we see through the whole first part of the psalm, we are also really small. If we go back to that particular text, this is verse 14, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and so I praise you. Your works are wonderful. And so we are able to see in this particular text that while God makes space for us to fill with what's going on inside, with the true rawness of our life, we are also not left there. The psalmist comes back around and says, Lord, so in light of all that, would you search me and know me? Would you reveal to me what's right in here and what's wrong? Because my deepest goal is not simply to get it out. Right? Getting the best, most vulnerable, vulnerable Facebook post is not the goal. But going somewhere with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit after that. So the psalmist comes back and said, know me, search me, reveal, and let's go in a different way. A way that the psalmist could not go on their own. 
So yes, there's this beautiful catharsis that we are invited to in the union and communion of our relationship, God, but then it turns upward in praise that we are then able to see that the point of the psalm is not us, although we are tied into the middle of it, but it is the one, the maker, the creator, the sustainer, the author and perfecter, the one Jesus Christ of whom we are able to say, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And we echo Psalm 8 where it says, you, O Lord, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Because where God has been creating space for us to show up with all of ourself, that same space gets also brought together in Jesus Christ. The one who is bringing heaven and earth together and then the restoration of all things is inviting then what we see in these last two verses. Lead me in the way everlasting. That everlasting is what Christ is doing and bringing together and healing. That in the power of the Spirit, we can step into a new and different way. With the God who knows us so deeply and heals and convicts and transforms. That is Jesus Christ. Whose perfect love which drives out fear is what we see in this particular psalm. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and fully known and fully loved. And therefore, we are invited with God into deeper union and communion and worship and adoration of the God who has done all of this and will bring it to completion and has in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, I, I, would this psalm be a gift to you this week? If you have a, um, like an Apple Music or a Spotify, I would just encourage you to type in Psalm 139. Not only is there some great songs that come out of this, but there's some great readings of this psalm. And I would allow, just invite you to sit in it this week. What is God revealing to you about God's deep love for you? And what does that mean as you go forward? Are we people who pray as if we are assured that the love of God is never ending and knows me completely? Can we get this honest? Can we get verse 19 through 22 honest in our prayers? And then the much harder thing, honestly, then is to say, God, in light of all that mess, would you search me and know me and continue to love me? And the answer, which is spoken in the scriptures and in the living word, Jesus Christ, and again rehearsed at this table is yes. I will search you and I will know you completely and I will love you, says the Lord. And so... We proclaim together the promise of this faith. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Lord, you, you give us these elements every week. You are reassuring us with your consistency and your presence that we are known and loved. 
We're so grateful, God, that you, you are able to accommodate our limitedness, our understanding, and our, our fears and insecurities. And so regularly, you offer us your grace. And so we pray how right and good and joyful thing it is that at all times, in all places, it is good to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so therefore, Lord, we praise you. We join our voices with the angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn and proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And God, we invite you to send your spirit as you have already this morning and for centuries that it would fill us. And would it take these things that are in front of us, Lord, would, would your spirit descend on this bread and these cups that it would be to us, not these simple elements, but it would be to us through the power of your spirit, the communion of the body of Christ. And so God, we rehearse this meal and you know you host it for us. Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's as if Jesus knew it would take his disciples three years, kind of the verses 1 through 18, three years to actually finally know what God is doing, to show up. And it's at this last supper that, that Jesus, as they sit down, he takes this bread and he breaks it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he takes the cup and he pours it out. He said, this is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so we do, knowing that God meets us in the midst of what is broken, God meets us with fresh promise. And so, friends, we come and we eat together. We have four tables all around the room. We have a space for you to, to pray. If it's, if it's great to get in that space of verses 19 through 22, and you got some stuff that maybe you can't whisper or say, but you can get it out on paper we would be honored to pray with you if you want to put that in, our, in the prayer walls. Or maybe that's something you just hang on to for a while. Or if there's something that you need a companion to pray with you, you know, Brian's back there by the prayer wall, we would be honored to do so. What is it that we need to, well, you're invited to speak then before the Lord? Let this space be a gift to you as we receive the table of renewal together. And so we then speak the mystery of this faith together by saying this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come, friends, for all things are now ready.